We live our lives carrying way too much that costs us way too much. That idea, that sentence, that thesis, if you will, has been the foundational idea that we've been walking through in each and every installment of this series that we are in called Too Expensive. If you're joining us today for the first time, or maybe you're new to the church, or it's your first time to join us in this series, welcome. I'm glad you're here. My name's Michael. I'm the pastor here at Believing. If you are a regular with us or you've been joining us in this series, you know we have been walking through some very different subject matters over these last many weeks as we've been unpacking and unlocking this, this idea that is too expensive. And today we are concluding it. But as we conclude it today, I, I want to quickly recap before we dive into what is the most significant subject matter that is too expensive for all of us. But as a way of recap, let's recap real quick. In part one, we share that shame is too expensive. And if you struggle with shame, you are battling it in this moment. Guilt and anxiety overwhelm you. You need to get this sermon in your life. It's available on our YouTube channel, on our website. The podcast is there. Listen to it. Share it with a friend. Get this truth in you. Because if you're battling shame, you hear this boy today, it's too expensive. But not only that, in part two, we addressed the reality that is silence. That not speaking up and not speaking out when the moment demands it, when the cause needs it, costs us too much. And our silence on things that matter is too expensive. And then in part three, we dove into the deep waters of sadness, sharing the truth and the reality that if you carry sadness, if depression is a daily battle for you, not just a moment, it wasn't just a weekend, it's not just a season of life, but sadness sits squarely on your shoulders in the, all of your life, that it is costing you too much and it is too expensive. And I pray that if any or all of these might be a benefit to you, that you would lean into them and allow the truth of God's word to speak life over you over and over and over again. But today, as we bring this series to its conclusion, I want to address the most expensive thing that you and I carry. One that will immediately, as I share this subject matter, cause some people to push back and some people to think this isn't for them. Can I tell you though, there's no reason to push back because this subject matter is for all of us. See, I came to tell you today, friend, that sin is too expensive. Sin is too expensive. Now, sin is not a new subject matter in the church house, correct? But the way sin is talked about, the way sin is presented, the way it is even preached, swings really from generation to generation. There was a time 
when, when the preacher would talk about sin in many circles, it was this fiery, come on, some of you know what I'm talking about, uh, hell and brimstone and, uh, and just the anger of God and the anger toward the sin that you do. And it was filled, honestly, with this hostility and what even came across sometimes like, like hate. And that's where the tenor was. But like most things that get out of balance to one extreme, what we find is the pendulum swings all the way to the other side. And we moved from this presentation of God who is constantly angry and he's going to get you and he hates you and he saw what you did to this other end of the spectrum where we don't even call sin, sin anymore. We talk about our mistakes. We, uh, we say, well, you know, there's some screw-ups, or maybe, maybe you have some bad habits. And we allow the pendulum to swing to the other extreme. And can I tell you, straight off the rip today, both of these extremes are troubling and wrong. We have missed it on both extremes. Maybe both extremes were approached in a good-hearted way. Maybe both of them were approached trying to be faithful to God, trying to be faithful to his word, trying to help communicate the reality of this to people. But on the extremes as this pendulum has swung, we have misappropriated, misexplained, and ultimately mischaracterized for understanding what sin is in the lives of people. We have a wrong perspective on sin, and this is a problem. This is troubling, and I want to give you very quickly three reasons as we begin today. Would you write these down in your notes? If you've got the notes downloaded from our website, or maybe you're writing these in your app, or you're just taking notes, you know, kind of old school, you got a napkin or some piece of paper out there. Man, let's get to work today. Would you write this down? A wrong perspective on sin is troubling because it lessens our understanding of sin. Part of the reason that, honestly, you today, I don't care how long you've gone to church, how many sermons you've heard, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you're someone who's new to faith, someone shared this video with you, you're joining us at church online, it's the first time you're just sort of exploring this faith. Hear me. The extremes. God is so angry at you because of your sin. You know, it's really just a mistake. Let's not use the S word. It has lessened our understanding of what sin actually is. And that is troublesome because the sin that we carry, the sin that we allow, the sin that, that exists all around us and all within us is too expensive. But secondly, write this down. It addresses one category of sin. In a few moments, I'm going to help you to see Many categories of sin. The problem is in the way that we have broached talking about sin, the way sin has been presented, really we only gain, give light and give explanation and understanding to one category of sin. A significant category, a real category, but quite honestly, not even the root category of most sin. A wrong perspective on sin is troubling because it lessens our understanding of sin. It addresses one category of sin, and then write this down. It diminishes the seriousness of sin. 
When we call sin just simply a screw-up or a mistake, we are diminishing the seriousness of it. And when we only point out those things that, it, that are easy uh, punching bag or pinata subject matters for a preacher to approach from a pulpit, we diminish the seriousness of sin. Now, I know some of you don't even like how many times I've said the word sin so far. Baby, you better buckle your safety belts and get ready for a bumpy flight then. Because sin is too expensive. It is costing you too much. And it's a, it's a word that, yes, is strong. But it's strong on purpose. Now, I will just, because I know some of you listen to this podcast in a car with children around, or maybe some of you are even watching this as a family at church online right now. And if you have small children around, I just want to warn you. Uh, maybe you want to send them out of the room for a second as I help illustrate this for a moment. Maybe you want to tell them to plug their ears. Because sin is a strong word. And it's a strong word on purpose. And there are other strong words in our society that, quite honestly, the strength of those words um, matters. Let me ask you a question. What is rape? Do not answer this in the chat. This is not the place to do that. But personally, in your mind and in your heart, answer, what is rape? Now, if I were to tell you in response to that question, well, rape is something that is not nice. How would you respond? Or if I were to tell you that uh, it's really helpful when people rape less, what would you say? Or if I said to you that rape isn't just the best thing that a person can do, how would you feel? I hope that you would be like, like crawling out of your skin, ready to run through your computer screen and punch me in the face. I hope that's what you would feel as I trivialize and, and push down the seriousness and the gravity of the evil and the horror that rape is. Most people's current perspective of sin, though, does that very thing to sin. We lessen it, we weaken it. And yes, you may be crawling when I mention rape and try to uh, maybe for illustrative purposes, downgrade its seriousness and the horror that it is. But some of us would not give a second thought about doing that very thing to sin by changing what we call it. We're lessening our understanding of its ramifications and its seriousness. See, some words are strong for a reason. And I believe that we need to keep them strong. And here is why. You can bring the children back in. Come on, you can turn the volume back up or take your AirPod back out. Let everybody in the car listen to it. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Here's why. Sin, sin separates us from God. Why is sin significant? Why is sin serious? Why am I telling you it's too expensive? Because your sin, because my sin, because our sin, it separates us from God. Because of our sin, 
We separate ourselves from the God of the universe, the God who loves us, the God who gave himself for us. But because of sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, we separate ourselves from God. God is holy and he is righteous and he is completely just. And our sin separates us from him. It is sin that has broken the connection that we are to have and should have and had in the beginning from God. Because we sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. But what happens because of our present understanding of sin, what happens because of our current rationalization and contextualization of sin is we elevate ourselves, some of us do, Come on, I'm talking to you, church person. I'm talking to you, Christian. I'm talking to you, person, who you kind of think you have your act together because you know some people you think are worse than you. We elevate ourselves because you think your sin isn't that bad. Hear me about your sin. It separates you from God. But I have good news. For all sin, God offers forgiveness to us in Christ. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Forgiveness is available. Reconciliation is possible. But it's only received when it's pursued. And we would never pursue something that we don't believe we need. And so today, to help us recognize our need I want to start this understanding of sin at the moment that sin entered the world to give us a full picture of the reality and the gravity of our sin. I want to turn your attention today to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is where the Bible records humanity's fall. In fact, if you were to open this in a, in a Bible physically or on your phone, on your iPad, maybe on a separate device right now, what you would find is there's probably a section title over Genesis chapter 3, and it's going to call it the fall of man. And maybe this account is somewhat familiar to you. Maybe it's not. Maybe you would remember back from part one of this series when I talked about shame. I actually took us to Genesis chapter 3, but I took us to the part right after what I'm going to go in on today. And so, we're going to dive deep, dive headfirst into the realities that present themselves concerning sin in the moment when humanity fell. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's read the scriptures, then we'll do some work from there. If you're ready, somebody in the chat say, I'm ready. Come on, I, I need you locked in, leaned in, ready to go today. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So, 
So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, made loincloths for themselves. This is the entrance of sin into the world. This is, as the subject headline put in there to help people find their way through the scriptures communicates to us, this is when humanity fell. This is the fall of man. And because sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, sin entered in full. In much of what you think, in much of what you were probably told or taught at some point along a journey, if you ever heard somebody articulate or pontificate about the realities of sin, originated, was founded, the thoughts they bring were brought from right here. The reality is for some of us in our understanding and our application because of the presentation with which we received, we missed what actually happened here. We missed the totality of what went on. See, when I say I'm preaching on sin, that sin is too expensive, there are some of you that in your piousness, because you are a Christian, there are some of you that in your arrogance, because you are someone who's been to church, you think that this sermon is for somebody else. Oh, he gonna tell them today, you better tell them folk that don't, you better tell them sinners, you better tell, you better pre, pretty white boy, you better tell them that it's not for you. Because you're not struggling like that, you know, you don't really, you don't really. Hear me, this sermon is for everyone. It's for the person watching or listening right now that you don't know God. Can I tell you this sermon is for you? I pray that in these next couple of moments, your eyes and your heart would be open to some things that you've never quite understood, but some pieces that have always felt disjointed would come together. And that, quite honestly, my prayer for you is that you would respond, as I'm going to give you opportunity to at the end of this sermon. Some, some of you are, are Christians. You are believers. You have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. The problem is you don't understand the gravity and the fullness of your sin. So quite honestly, you think there's only a part of your sin that Jesus is even dealing with because there are things that you allow that you don't even recognize are sin because you were never told that they were sin because sin was presented to you in such a misunderstood, narrowly focused way. Some of you don't like the fact that I'm going to bring up sin because I'm gonna bring up your sin and I'm gonna walk down your street, your neighborhood. I'm about to get into your house. I'm about to get into the way you treat people. I'm about to get into your finances. I'm about to get into your thoughts. I'm about to get into your browser history. I'm going there. And you don't like it because you like it when the preacher preaches on somebody else's sin. You better tell them. How about you better tell me? You see, the psalmist in Psalm 32 makes an articulation that I find so powerful about what he calls wicked people, people who do not honor God. Psalm 36, verse 2, he says that people who are wicked are those, listen to these words, who don't discover and hate their own iniquity. There are a lot of people of faith who are very content to discover and hate 
your iniquity, their iniquity. Them people over there who think like that, vote like that, pray like that, do like that. Let me tell you about how terrible they are. The psalmist says wicked people are those who don't discover and then hate their own iniquity. And the reason sin is too expensive for some of the people under the sound of my voice who there may be something in you that genuinely loves God. The problem is you don't hate your own sin enough. You hate other people's sin. You hate other people's struggle. You hate other people's falling short of the glory of God. And today, as I unpack the fullness of sin that entered this world when humanity fell, my prayer is that for some of you, what the Holy Spirit would rise up on the inside of you is a hatred for your own sin. So with that, Let's begin to categorize sin. Let's break it apart so that we understand it. Because I told you that it's our sin that does separate us from God. But how does that sin happen and what does that sin even look like? I'm glad you asked. Would you write these down today? Please, here's this first one. We separate ourselves from God by what we do. We separate ourselves from God. Some of the sin that separates you from God, that you have allowed to separate you from the God who loves you, the God who gave himself for you, the God that has purpose, plan, destiny for your life, is because of what you do. Now, this is the most common point of emphasis concerning sin. The interesting thing is, is that we love to reclassify and justify what sin is and what sin isn't based on what we do and then based on what we don't do as much. But we're very quick to point out what they did was sinful. This is how most preaching from people like myself sounds concerning sin. People love to preach on what you do that's sinful, but they find a way to only make it things that they believe ought to be sinful that other people do, but they don't do quite as much. So my son, um, my son listens to music to go to sleep. He's done this, I think, basically his whole life. And he has a playlist that he listens to every night. He goes up to his room, puts his playlist on on his little iPad, lays down and goes to sleep and listens to music all night long. It's fine. We don't hear it that much anymore. So it's fine, you know? But um, as apps have updated and programs have changed, Apple Music has this little thing they started doing the last, I don't know, maybe it's been six months to a year or so, to where if you are listening to an album or you're listening to a playlist and you get to the end of the playlist, if you have not selected for it to just keep playing only that album or only that playlist, it's going to go and start exploring other songs and other ideas and other whatever and just offering those to you. I'm sure they're making money off that somehow. I don't really know. But like, but like they, they, they're doing this. And so my son sometimes when he pulls up this playlist to play overnight and to listen to hopefully over and over and over again, sometimes he forgets to set it to where it'll just keep looping. And one day this week, uh, I was getting dressed and he had come downstairs 
to get breakfast and get ready. And my wife was in the kitchen, and him and my wife were, were, were talking. He was trying to explain to Mindy um, this song that was on when he woke up in the morning. Because he ain't ever heard it before. But it, um, it caught his curiosities. He's like, yeah, I just had my normal playlist going and I woke up this morning and he was explaining to Mindy the song sound like da 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 And he's like, it had this catchy little, little beat. And he said, I think it kept saying like, uh, and when I went high or something. And my wife, bless her, um, she, she don't know music like, like, like that. She know a lot of music, but just not not and so I, I came out of the bedroom, I, I'd been getting dressed, and, uh, and Tucker was very curious on figuring out what this was. And he's like, hey, Dad! I was like, yeah. And Mindy walks in, he's like, he's like, man, he explains to me, you know, what was happening, and then he woke up, and there was a song he ain't ever heard before, and, it's, duh, duh, duh. and Mindy was like, do you, do, do you know what he is talking about? And I said, oh, yeah! I said, that's Afro Man. She said, what? I said, yeah, that, that, that song is called Because I Got High. Because I Got High. Because I got high. Some of you, I know I'm bringing back. I'm sorry to bring back. But, but like, that was the song. And she looked at me crazy. She's like, what? Are, what are, how, how do you know that song? Now, time out. Let me tell you why she's asking that. See, I've known my wife since middle school. And we went to church together and would be in youth group together. And, and one of the things that was preached against in, in, in our little youth group, in fact, sometimes there would be services centered around, like, you are not supposed to listen to secular music. There'd be these times where you had to bring your, your CDs or bring your tapes, I guess maybe back in the day, or whatever you had. And you bring your music and you throw it all away because you were going to listen to Christian music because you shouldn't do that. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about music and this is not the time space, nor do I have time to explain it all to you. But I'll just tell you, I listen to a wide variety of music. And so my wife was shocked that I knew this song because she didn't know this song and she thinks that that was something that, you know, maybe whenever this song would have come out that I would not have known about, but, but I, I knew. I know Afro Man. But it's funny to me to use music as an example because that would be very easy for some people to say, don't do that because doing that is sin. I don't know that it is, but that's an example of what happens from a preaching perspective. What can happen sometimes from a guiding people away is like, don't do this thing, which is very easy maybe for a preacher to say when it's like, I don't even want to listen to that kind of stuff. But when you're interested in that kind of music, you feel like this is the biggest struggle or one of the biggest struggles in life. It's a sin. It is sin that I'm talking about. Connected to what we do. And it's where a lot of preaching, where a lot of teaching about sin starts and stops. And what I mean by that is these are sins of commission. In other words, things that we commit, actions that we do. It's sin because of what we choose to do. And I don't think it has near as much, if anything, to do with music that we listen to. But when I choose to lie, I've sinned. 
when I choose to say things consistently that are not true, I've sinned. When I cheat and I defraud someone or something in my words or in my actions, I've sinned because of what I did. When I choose to take what isn't mine, notice I said it that way, not to lessen it, but to wrap you in. Because if I say steal, most of you will say, well, I ain't no thief. You may not call yourself a thief. You may not be a stealer. But there are many of us who have no problem taking things that are not ours. Taking credit that is not ours. Oh, you don't want me to go there. We take what isn't ours. And when we do that, we sin. When I choose to slander other people. Using my words to tear others down, maybe so that I can be built up. I sin. When I obsess over what my neighbor has, the Ten Commandments call this coveting. I have sinned. When I lust in desire for another person sexually that is not my spouse, I sin. When I give prominence in my life to someone or something that isn't God, I sin. You say, what? Yeah, it's called idolatry. Just if I say idolatry, you think of some gold little statue. And you ain't got no gold little statue at your house. The problem is you give prominence and preeminence to other things, to other people. Way more above God. And when you do that, you sin. When you harbor bitterness, when you choose to hurt others, you Sin. Just like Adam and Eve doing the thing that God said not to do was sin, it's sin for us too. And I came to tell you today, friend, as we begin this exploration, as we dive deep into this today, that there are things, if there are things, that you consistently do that you know are sin, it's too expensive to do them. See, sin is fun for a season, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And there is no greater clarity of this truth than in what we choose to do. Because we do it not because we just want to run out and sin. We do it because it makes us feel good. We do it because, well, I know this is wrong for me to do, but I'm going to get what I want. And so I'm going to get what I want however I want to get what I want. It filled some desire on the inside of us. And the desire wasn't necessarily wrong, but our method of filling that desire was wrong. And so we did what we knew we shouldn't do in order to fill the desire that we have. Hear me, sin will cost you more than you want. Because in doing those things, sin will leave you addicted. And nobody set out to be addicted, but here you are as an addict. Only to be able to do what it is you knew you shouldn't do. But you wanted something. And so you did what you shouldn't do in order to get what you wanted. To leave us with damaged relationships. Some of you are not willing to open your eyes wide enough to recognize that the reason so many of the relationships in your life are damaged has nothing to do with the people in your life. It has to do with the fact that, quite honestly, you are more concerned about doing what it is you want, even if it's hurtful or defrauding to people. That's why people don't trust you. That's why people don't like you. That's why people don't want you in their world anymore. And you have damaged the relationships left and right because of your sin that you continually commit. 
we find ourselves losing this desire for intimacy with our spouse. And we don't recognize that maybe it isn't them. Maybe it's the fact that you did what was sin. We lose the desire for intimacy with God. And we think that God just doesn't care about us, that God just doesn't love us, that God just doesn't, he, he just doesn't, he just doesn't care for us anymore. And no, maybe it's because you continually choose to do what is sin. And now your heart has been hardened to where you don't even want the things of God anymore. We separate ourselves from God by what we do. We also separate ourselves from God, please write this down, by what we won't do. We separate ourselves from God by what we won't do. When we don't do what God has said do, we sin. Let me say that again. When we don't do what God has said do, we sin. Now, this is the part of the sermon. This is the part of the sin explanation that, quite honestly, a lot of church folk don't like. And they don't like, but that's okay. We're going to talk about it. Because all sin ain't doing. Some is not doing. These categorically, if I could give you a word for it, these are sins of omission. It's sin because of what we choose not to do or sin that we choose not to do. We omit doing these things. To say it another way, this is knowledge without practice. I know, but I won't do. I have been taught, I have read, I have been convicted, but I won't practically do. That, friend, is not your struggle. It's not your growth plan. It is sin. And it's overlooked because most of us use Christianity as some behavior modification tactic. And if I could stop doing the bad, then I'll be good. No. Adam and Eve's sin wasn't just that they did wrong. They sinned when they wouldn't believe God. Trust God. Trust his word. They wouldn't. They chose to trust the lie of the enemy more than the truth of what God has said. And because they did not trust what God has said, they sinned by what they chose not to do, not to believe. This sin of omission is what the book of James chapter 4 makes so clear when it says to know what to do, to know the good that you're to do, and to not do it is sin. If there's good that you know that you're supposed to do and you're not doing, let me say it as clearly as I can. You are sinning. If there is good that you know that you are supposed to do and you are choosing not to do it, you, friend, are sinning. It's not that you're struggling. It's not that you're having a bad time. It's not that there's some difficulty. You are sinning. We want to make it all grace and all mercy and all fairy dust and petunias, but hear me. What about the fact that you still won't forgive and you know you should forgive? Because Jesus told Peter, forgive 70 times 7. 
You know, you're supposed to get the log out of your own eye before you start worrying about the specks in other people's eye. But you choose not to forget because of what they did. Because of how they hurt me. Do you know how difficult? Yes. I also know that your unforgiveness is sin. Not because of what you're doing, but because of what you won't do. What about the fact that you still won't prioritize God? in your schedule or in your finances. I told you, I'm going to hit everybody, myself included. I've been hitting myself all week. Am I bruised? Like, what about the fact that you won't prioritize God in your schedule or in your finances? You say, I'm too busy. No, you're not. What you are is someone who values everything else. You value work. You value school. You value activities. You value hanging out more than you value God. And so you say, I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time to study his word. I don't have time to pray. Yes, you do. You just don't prioritize it. And you conveniently, under the guise of busyness, say, I can omit this from. And in doing that, friend, hear me as clearly as I can say it. You are sitting. And if I could take it a step further, it's because we bow down at the altar of busyness. And your idol may not look like some golden statue or some fat Buddha that you have sitting out in the front yard, except for that one dude over there on Mount Moriah. But like, your idol is the fact that if you are not insanely busy, if your children are not insanely busy, if you and your spouse are not out every night, if you and your boyfriend are not out, then you don't feel like you're doing enough. So it's very easy to push God and his work and his will and his ways to the side and omit it. Because you won't prioritize him in your schedule or your finances. Let me be honest with you. Some of you continue to justify under the idea of not making enough or inflation, not trusting God with your finances. But the thing is, you still buy stuff. Stuff that you need. But what you are choosing not to do is to trust God with your finances. Because the same Jesus who told you to forgive also said, don't you see the birds in the air and the flowers in the field? How much, like if I take care of them, how much more am I going to take care of you? Promise you don't believe it enough to actually trust God and prioritize him in your finances. And let me say it as clearly as I can. In doing that, that is sin. Because you are omitting from what God has asked you to do. You, 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 want, you want to give God your leftovers, if anything. The problem is you want the blessing of the first. What it is, if I could use the book of Genesis on your head for a second, you want the blessing of Abel with the offering of Cain. And the problem is Cain offered no sacrifice. And that is sin. It's sin. God rejects that. The problem is you really won't let God carry your burdens, even though you know his word says Cast all your anxiety, cast all your burdens on him because he cares for you. You sin when you don't take all of your burdens and put them on God. When you stay hating people and you got reasons because of how they act and they are part of the problem and they are part of the system and they have done this and they don't like people like me and I don't like people like them. When you choose to not love Freely you've received, freely you give. When you choose not to care for 
It's sin. That's the reason racism and classism and these bigotries are sin. Because we separate ourselves from God, not by just what we do, but also what we won't do. And finally today, please write this down. We separate ourselves from God by what we can't ever Some of you have probably heard someone expound on the ideas of commission and omission concerning sin before. What we do and what we don't do. But there's a good chance that nobody has taken you down the road of what you can't ever do. And the problem is this category of sin, this reality of our sin is quite honestly, it is the genesis, no pun intended. It is the root, the core, and the greatest of sin. Because sin is not merely a disobedient act. Sin is a disobedient authorization. When we resign sin to simply be what we do or what we don't do, we simplistically make it something solely behavioral. Yet Romans chapter 5 tells us that sin entered the world through one man, and because of that, all sinned. But if sin is solely behavioral, you would have the intellectual argument to make, I haven't done wrong. I haven't done that. But the scripture says that because one man sinned, we read in Genesis chapter 3, now all have sinned. So if sin was merely something behavioral that I do, well then maybe I haven't sinned. And maybe I am better than they are. And what about this little kid? Put your thinking cap on for a second and listen to me as we cover a lot of ground in a very short amount of time. But if you were to open the New Testament to the book of James chapter 1, James chapter 1 outlines how we get to sinning from temptation. Genesis chapter 3. Like the serpent tempted Eve. And then at the back end of that, sin. Man fell. James chapter 1 goes through this same thing, but it gives us understanding as it brings insight to it. It doesn't show us that what we do because we're tempted or even that temptation itself is a sin. What am I saying? It does not tell us that temptation is a sin because temptation is not a sin. Eve did not sin because she was tempted by the serpent. The serpent just happened to roll up on her block when she was just out hanging out. That was not a sin. It was not, she wasn't in the wrong place. It was not a sin. It wasn't like Eve shouldn't have gone to that tree to hang out and have a, like, it wasn't a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. And the process does not go temptation, sin, which is what most of us think. When you're tempted, you don't have to do what you're tempted to do. Whether or not you give into that temptation has nothing to do with self-restraint, personal determination, or perceived holiness. This is what James teaches us. James teaches us in James chapter 1, the reason you move from temptation to sin in any space, in any place, in any way, has to do with pride. Pride. What many writers have called the greatest sin. Pride. Please get some understanding around pride. Write these down. Pride is not the action. It's the entitlement. 
You can't do pride. That is why we separate ourselves from God by what we can't ever do. Because you can't do pride. But because of pride, you can allow a sense of entitlement to sit within you that says things like, I deserve this. Pride is not the doing. It's the reasoning. Pride is not the action that you take because you can't take an action that is pride. But it is the reasoning in your mind that seems to think that somehow this is okay. It is the mental jujitsu that allows you to play yourself in thinking to yourself that this ain't really that big a deal. Pride is not the habit. It's the justification. Pride is not the, I do this over and over again. Because most of you, when I talk about sin, what comes to the forefront of your mind is that habit that you can't kick. And the reason you can't kick it, you better hear this right now. You better let the Spirit of God speak to you. The reason you can't kick it is because you're trying to kick it by self-determination. You're trying to kick it by better habits. You're trying to kick it by becoming a moral person. And what you need to understand is that what you need to kick that habit is not stronger accountability around the habit. You need to break the justification in your own mind and soul that says, I deserve this. I get that. I have to have that. I need this. You have justified it for so long that now you don't even call it what it is. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Right after the serpent has tempted Eve, it says this. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So, so, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It is this scripture here that causes us to misunderstand sin the greatest. We think sin begins with the do. Sin begins before the so. We think that sin entered the world the moment that the teeth of Eve hit the outer surface of that fruit. That was sin, because God said, don't eat that. But sin actually began before the so, as she began to justify in her own mind. As she began to rationalize, as she began to set reasoning, as she felt entitled to know what God knows. Do you ever wonder how things would be if blank was different? Like, I don't know if you ever played it like in your own life, being like, you know, if we would have moved here then, I wonder what life would have looked like. Or if we hadn't have bought this, or, you know, if we would have had more kids or less kids, or if I would have gotten married or wouldn't have had the third marriage, you know, like, like do you ever wonder like how like life might get a gone? I do. I think that sometimes. I wonder how things would be different. It's like a choose your own ending. A lot of people have thought about that with Genesis chapter 3. What if Eve just wouldn't have eaten that apple? Maybe we'd all be all right. Yeah. What if they were tempted though? But in verse 6, it said that Eve told the serpent, 
I trust what God has said more than what you say. So you better get away from me before I tell Adam to get the weed eater and take you out. <laughs> you know? But she didn't. What she did is she justified enough reasoning to do what she felt entitled to do. And sin entered there. Because that's pride. She decided that the tree looked good. She wasn't disgusted by the tree because God said, stay away from that tree. She rationalized to herself, you better hear me, that this ain't that bad. She felt entitled to know what God said no, even though it wasn't God who told her, it was the enemy who told her what might happen, even though he lied to her. She gave into that because she felt she deserved it. And it was the pride that sat in her that then led her to do what she should not do. But the sin started with the pride. See, you never do pride. But what you do because of your pride is too expensive. Because what pride says is pride comes along and says, I deserve it. Pride says, I don't think this is that big a deal. Pride says, I can't afford to trust God. Do you know what you're saying when you say, I can't afford to trust God with my schedule or with my finances or with my future or with my relationships? What you are saying is that you know better than God. That your ways are more trustworthy than his ways. That your plan is a better plan than his plan. That's pride. Pride says, well, that's not really a sin. Pride says, I know other people who do that. Pride says, God doesn't really care. Pride says the Bible doesn't really mean. Pride says it won't hurt anybody. Pride says they had it coming to them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Pride says I'm good. Hear me. Your justification does not justify you. Just because you square it in your mind does not make it right. And friend, what I came to tell you today is that some of you, because of what you do, and some of you because of what you won't do, and some of you because of what you can't ever do, have found yourself on this slippery slope that is sin. And it doesn't necessarily feel all that expensive because it seems like little stuff now. But the way C.S. Lewis put it in the Screwtape Letters, I think, brings clarity to this as I close and call you for response today. He says, you will say these are very small sins. And maybe that's what some of you are saying today. You say, man, I hadn't, I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't, I hadn't hurt anybody. I haven't lusted much of anybody. Like, I haven't. Hmm. You will say these are very small sins. But it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. I pray this sermon today wherever you may be listening to it, however you may be listening to it, would be a signpost on the way 
Maybe to help you see what you've justified for a long time, what you've rationalized for a long time, what you've said that's just the way I am, or we don't do that, or I'm just not going to trust God in that. Whether it's sin that you do, sin that you won't do, or sin that you can't ever do, but the pride on the inside of you gives justification for then what you... Let this be a signpost along the way with a single call today, and it's the call of God to all of us. Repent. Without repentance, the scripture says, there is no forgiveness of sin. Repentance is not this sick feeling on the inside. That's what we think it is. Repentance is not crying tears, although there's nothing wrong with crying tears. The Hebrew word wherewith we draw the word repent literally means to return. It means to stop going in this direction and to return back to the place that you started, to return back to the place that you were meant to be. And this is God's call to you today, to return to him. That's what repenting is. Repenting is, I believe what God says is true. So I'm going to stop trusting what the world says and trust what God says. I'm going to stop trying to be good enough and lean heavily on his grace and his mercy. I'm going to stop following my own ambitions and my own desires and my own ways. And I'm going to turn and run after his purposes. I'm going to trust what he says first and most. I'm not going to give space for rationalization and justification, but I'm going to come eye to eye with my own iniquity and allow the Spirit of God to tell me where I got to turn again. I got to turn again. I got to turn again because my sin is too expensive. Friend, if that's you today, I don't care whether you call yourself a church person or not. I don't care whether or not you've been to service, you've prayed a prayer of repentance before, but you recognize there is unrepented sin in your life. Things that you do, things that you don't do, or things that you can't ever do, but you have become one who has justified what you don't do and justified what you do so long, and you now, maybe for the first time, recognize it's pride on the inside of you, giving you allowance and credence. Today's the day to repent. Today's a day, yes, we're going to pray and to ask for forgiveness and to declare our turning. But today is the day that you need to turn. Today is the day that you need to make commitments. Today is the day your schedule needs to change. Today is the day an apology needs to be issued. Today is the day a conversation needs to be had. Today is a day that you say, I'm breaking this off of my life. Today is the day you become generous. Today is the day you start serving. Today is the day you clean out that and say, I will not anymore. Because I'm done justifying what is unjustified. I'm done trying to present myself as something I'm not. I'm going to return to God's purposes and plans for my life. If that's you today and you say, I repent, would you pray this prayer with me wherever you are, wherever you may be listening? Say, Jesus, today, I repent of my sin. I come face to face, eyeball to eyeball, squarely recognizing my sin. And I call it what it is. It's sin. Sin that I have done, 
Sin that I won't do because I won't do what you've said. Sin that I can't ever do because it's the pride that lives within me that has always been within me, that is in me from the beginning, that, that justifies and rationalizes and pushes away. And God, I repent of all of it. Break my heart. Change me. Forgive me. And give me the strength to trust you as I follow you every day of my life. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I choose to walk in your way. I pray all these things in your precious name. And everybody said, amen. Can I tell you, if you prayed that prayer, Christ lives on the inside of you. You are forgiven. I would love to know that. I'd love for you to mark that on your yellow card today. Let's schedule a baptism for you. Why? <laughs> because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus said, get baptized, so we get baptized. That's it. <laughs> like, that's it. Because that's been Jesus' call from the beginning. Not just to pray, not just to think, not just to hope, to follow him. Because carrying sin through your life is too expensive. But when you follow him, you'll find freedom, you'll find hope, you'll find life that's only found in him. Amen, amen.